Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Good everybody. Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sampalippos here. I'm Bob Wagle, And we are getting ever so closer to actually seeing some Phillies baseball. They'll get underway with their spring training schedule this weekend. But before they do, we're here to tackle a couple of, I don't know, little interesting developments that kind of came out down in Florida on Thursday. And so, Anthony, I, I don't want to waste any time. I want to just sort of jump right into it. So getting this roster stabilized moving forward has kind of been one of the the storylines of this spring. Can they get a contract extension done with Aaron Nola? And there seems to be general optimism that a contract will get done. So I, I guess that there's a couple of different things that we can talk about here. Let's let's focus on Nola specifically first, because I want to go somewhere else with this after we do that. We haven't really dedicated a, a lot of talk to Aaron Nola uh, in our first few shows since we kind of rebooted early last week. Aaron Nola, we know the good, we know the not so good. You have been a uh, staunch defender of him, uh, even at his worst or, or during his struggles last season uh, when he was really starting to take some heat. You kind of dug in and, and, and written things and, and posted things on Crossing Broad about how you guys are totally missing the point. He's, he's the real deal. Uh, I, I assume it's safe to say, all of that being said, that you are in favor of doing an extension with Aaron Nolas. Is that true? Yes. I mean, I you know, look, and I don't think I'm alone, right? I mean, he, he was one of seven Phillies on the top 100 players in Major League Baseball's list, right? I mean, they put it. They put that list out there. Um, that, that's that's telling you something. It's not just me. The baseball people believe Aaron Nola is a really, really good pitcher. So yes, they should they should extend him, um, and they should extend him for not just a short little quick thing. They, it, this should be a long term deal that they they give Aaron Nola. So are you are you like five six years? Are you comfortable one hundred fifty north of one hundred fifty? Like is that a, a fair starting point? I think yeah. Rodon got one sixty two uh, this offseason from the Yankees. Like something in that neighborhood? Does he deserve to exceed it? Like how do you? To what degree do you value? I, I think they will. I think they'll give him slightly more. Right. I mean, they, they, they we had this discussion last week when we talked about you know uh, Phillies with avoiding arbitration and how they take care of their players a little bit. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to vastly overpay him, but they'll probably give him slightly more than maybe what his market value is, and that kind of gives him a feeling of, of a, you know, we appreciate you and we want you to be part of this organization for a long time. As far as the term, um, I think six years is about right. I, I could see it be five with an option kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the neighborhood that you're looking at. 
So if you're listening to this and, and this is the first time you're listening to it, you say, man, like that was aggressive. Like there were no pleasantries. They just hopped right into it. Like do you extend Aranola? But I think if you have listened to this show, you always know that I'm I'm setting up one thing to get to another thing. And yeah. so we all understand that the general sense is that the Phillies want to get a deal done. Aaron Nola wants to be here. You spoke about the conversation we had last week. The Phillies tend to take care of their players when they want to. And that, I think, all brings or brings us to a, a very, very interesting development yesterday. And it was somewhat subtle, but if you paid attention closely, you kind of, you know, might have perked up a little bit. So another longtime Philly who's made big contributions, who's generally well-regarded within the organization and by the fans, Reese Hoskins. Uh, Dave Dombrowski was asked yesterday about Reese Hoskins, and when he talked about Aaron Nola, there was like this, we're not going to talk about contract negotiations, but this is something we want to get done. There seems to be positive momentum. Reese Hoskins comes up. The first thing out of Dave Dombrowski's mouth, Anthony, is... Uh, you know, Gene Segura was in a similar position last year, and he immediately references a guy who was a very popular player coming off of a good year that they let walk. And so I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but when you talk about Gene Segura, you talk about how he's a great guy, he's done a lot of really good things for the organization. It did not sound to me like Dave Dombrowski was even in the, the area code of committing anything to Reese Hoskins beyond 2023 and i'm just kind of curious of what your thoughts are having having listened to dave talk as well yeah i that was that's what stuck out for me too when he referenced segura and it was it was it, it kind of reminds me it's like you know this is the this is the kind of guy akin to what pat burrell was back in the day right where he's the homegrown guy who's like the first one who comes up I mean, although I know Nola was kind of here slightly longer, but um, but like really the first hitter who comes up and and endures all the all the losing until the team finally wins, right? And then he got he leads the parade, you know, riding separately with his dog, and that's kind of riding off into the sunset before he goes out to San Francisco the following year. That's not to say that that's exactly what's going to happen with Reese Hoskins, but you kind of get the feeling that that's what it is. Um, that he's that guy that you know was a, the original power bat in the middle of the lineup and and now he's at the end and um you know he's going to give it one more year with the organization give one more big run and then they probably move in another direction and and that's okay um and I think that that's probably where they're at I mean look it, I I guess it's possible that Reese gets off to this amazing start this season um shows that he's uh, not as much of a butcher at first base as everybody says he is, um, and and then they say, hmm, maybe we do, you know, offer him a contract at some point during the year. I mean, that is a possibility, but I do think that this is a situation where it does not. Well, certainly, I don't think it gets done before the year begins, and I think that the odds of it really coming through coming to fruition during the season are probably not even fifty fifty at this point. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I, I would say it's a long shot that he's yeah. here beyond this season. And there, there's a few reasons for it. First of all, like we have spent a lot of time on this show over the, the, the past few seasons talking about Reese Hoskins and what is he and how should fans feel about him? Are we overvaluing him or are we undervaluing him? And I mean, look, it, you go to the baseball reference page and, and it jumps right out at you. I mean, 30, 36 home runs over 162 he averages. 
hit 30 home runs last year. Uh, you know, 794 OPS last season. Career like 844 OPS with the Phillies. He's a good hitter. And he's a streaky hitter. But at times he's showing the on-base tool. Like there's a lot to like about Reese Hoskins from an offensive standpoint. There really is not much to like about him from a defensive standpoint. And it, it, you know, listen, that's I think that's being nice to, to be honest. That all being said, though, for me, it's not even so much about Reese Hoskins. It, it's about the way that this roster is is constructed. And I think that we've talked about this as they've done some of the signings, especially after they did Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos at the beginning of last season, going into the season. You have JT Romuto locked up beyond this year. You're paying Nick Cassianos beyond this year. Kyle Schwerber beyond this year. Bryce Harper beyond this year. You just did a mega deal with Trey Turner. Like, at some point, right, like, you look at the way that this lineup is constructed, what they have from an offensive standpoint. The Phillies are coming into this season as the third best team. I mean, they are behind Atlanta. They are behind New York. When you look at the odds, like they're significantly behind these teams. So here's my question. If things don't go as planned this season, and say they do fall short, say they are a clear tier or two behind some of these, these like, you know, lead dogs in the National League, the Phillies are going to have to adapt. Like, they're not going to just be able to run back, you know, the same exact roster. So if you have all of these other players locked up long-term, and I know that you have some flexibility with Marsh and then the two young infielders in Bohm and Stott, but if you have all of this money dedicated to older players, and Reese Hoskins will turn 30 on St. Patrick's Day, can you really afford to commit three, four years, somewhere in the 20 to $30 million range per season to a guy like Reese Hoskins? And then you look at the pitching stand. I mean, look at the, it's the same thing on the, on the pitching side. Look at that rotation. Take out Andrew Painter, young guy, right? We, we assume he's going to be a centerpiece, but you're going to re-sign Nola. You're going to extend him. You have Wheeler for another year, $20 million plus. You just did a deal with Walker. You know, Suarez, you have some flexibility there. But a lot of this team is really kind of entrenched moving beyond 2023. I feel like you need to give yourself some financial flexibility, some roster flexibility, to make upgrades because you know this thing is going to stay ultra-competitive moving forward. Yeah, I, I, I think that you outlined it perfectly, Bob. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think you can go any, any different than that. I mean, you do need roster, fle- you do need uh, flexibility, financial flexibility, more than anything else. Um, which, and the thing of it is, is that I know that this, this is a team that will spend, spend, spend. We know that. We know John Middleton's that kind of, a, of an owner. Um, but at the same time, it does get to a point where when you're paying all these guys, that's kind of money, right? That it, it, it gets, there has to be a, a little bit of a limit and you don't want to put yourself into a bad contract. And it's easy to, to see how moving forward, um, the possibility exists for, um, for Reese Hoskins to contract to actually not age well. And and maybe faster than anyone else uh, uh, on the team who has you know some term left on their deals, um, and, and so because of that, you got to be you got to be, you know, you got to be smart about it. And sometimes you have to make hard decisions. You have to make uncomfortable decisions. There's there's not a person listening to this podcast who probably doesn't like Reese Hoskins. And like at worst, you say he seems like a great guy, and I know he has some pop. Like that's probably like the the worst way you could look at Reese Hoskins. Like. But a lot of people in the city, they love him. They, they love the guy. And they're willing to overlook some of the defensive shortcomings. 
they, I'm sure they want him here. And I, like, I feel like the Phillies want the human being here, you know? And I, I think that he's a good player. Like, I'm not trying to even diminish what he is as an offensive player. Like, right. He's going to get that money, right? Like, there is a team that will probably look at him and say, we value Reese Hoskins the way that, that he probably wants to be valued on the open market. I just don't know if you're the Phillies how many guys you can you can take into their 30s who are kind of they, they slant offense first. You know, like when you do Schwarber and you do Castellanos and you you have Harper for an extended period of time. Like I just I feel like you have to be able to kind of give yourself not just financial flexibility because people will say I don't want to hear about financial flexibility. John Middleton just talked about his legacy being filling up the trophy cases, not how much profit he makes. So I don't want to hear about financial flexibility, but you got to also work in reality. You can't just spend on top of spend on top of spend. It's got to be done in an efficient manner if you're going to optimize what you have on the field. So for me, like, is there a wait and see component to this? Maybe, like maybe they get to the end of the season, things change and they say, you know what, we are going to do this deal. But right now, I certainly I would not be in a rush to do it. No, no, I would. I agree with you. There is, there is no rush. There, can, there can't be a rush to do it. And again, like I said, I, I think it. I think it comes down to the fact if he's having that kind of monster season, entering free agency type season, and you want to think about it in in, in a short shorter term capacity. Um, and and something that that is a kind of a smart approach. Say, okay, maybe we will give him a little something, and you know, make, you know, an offer, you know, a three year deal. Why? But I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go crazy. Let me stop you though. If he has that season, like, let me just give you a stat line. Forget the average, but he hits thirty five home runs, knocks in a, a buck ten. OPS is somewhere in the mid to upper eights. You know who his agent is, right? Like, yeah. just just scroll over. Just scroll over to Baseball Reference and, and look down. Agent, Boris Corporation. Yeah. You think that Reese Hoskins is going to have that type of season and then and then the, do a team-friendly deal to stick around? Like, I know he's a good guy, and I know that he loves the organization and they love him, but, like, I don't see the hometown disca- uh, discount, you know, in the mix or being part of the dynamics here. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, yes, you're right. I, I, I Maybe a little bit, but, I, but at the same time... um. You know, I I do think that there is a belief that, you know, where he's at age wise also impacts us a little bit. And and I don't think that I don't think Boris is is stupid in that regard either. I think he I think he's smart at getting his players the best that they can get contract wise for who they are and where they are. Um, But at the same time, I don't think he tries to shoot for the moon when his player, you know, can't even launch off the pad right you know what i'm saying like so i think i think he he knows who his his clients are and will get them their best deals but also understands who they are as well and i and i think that he's got a great relationship with the phillies that's another thing to keep in mind of course there's there's no doubt yeah i mean how often how often do teams i don't think it happens a lot in all honesty but the phillies are very comfortable putting scott boris up on the dais to talk like when they sign his players (laughs) Right. And, and he did that. Yeah. Questions for Scott. Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, it, it's it's just a thing with him that you don't see with other agents. And uh, maybe it works in that regard. But, you know, again, I'm, I'm with you, Bob. I'm just giving a a, a small possibility that could arise. Um, but I don't I do not think 
that there's going to be any kind of contract offer for Reese Hoskins this season. Yeah, and and one other point, I guess a question I have for you is: is thirty old? You know, like is thirty old? Trey Turner is only two and a half months younger than Reese right. Hoskins. I mean, Trey Turner is going to turn thirty this season. I believe his birthday's at the end of June. So, and he just got you know double digit years. So, I just don't. I, the way I view it, I think that Reese Hoskins is, and I'll say this for him: like I think he's going to hit the open market if he does hit the open market. I think he's going to get a, a pretty good deal. Like maybe, maybe it does come from the Phillies. Maybe there's a, a little bit of a reversal or maybe they're just not, maybe they're playing it tight to the vest. I, I'm not sure, but I do think that he's going to command a pretty significant deal. And I just don't know at what point, if you're the Phillies and you look at what you have, the way that your team is built, how much more you can commit to offense first, you know, defense deficient player over 30 for multiple years at big time money. And it just seems like a fit thing more than anything to me at this point. Yeah. I think that I think that you're you're spot on with that. And there's no other way to describe it. I mean it's Reese Hoskins is a very good hitter. Uh I would I would I would say I would I think it's fair to say he fits into the bottom of the top ten of first baseman in major league baseball. If you look at his since that people will roll their eyes. Some people might roll their eyes when they hear that, but if you look at his numbers year over year compared to other first basemen in baseball. I think last year he was uh, 10th in OPS amongst first basemen in baseball. And um, I think, actually, I think it was 11th, but Luis Arias was a second baseman, mostly moved over and played first base for Minnesota. So um, technically 10th, uh, but still top 10 last season. But if you look at span from 2017, when he first came into the league, I mean, he's literally in the top 10 in all of those offensive categories among first basemen. That's pretty good. I mean, you you have a guy who's consistently in the top third in the sport at his position offensively. We know what he is defensively. He's he's not very good at first base. We know he's a little hot and cold, and that's frustrating at times. But you do have to appreciate the fact that on the whole, he does what a lot of guys can't do at his position. That said, it's also a position where a, a lot of people can ultimately play, right? And a lot of people can ultimately play with similar statistics and maybe be a little bit better defensively and there's better ways of of spending that money that it would take to keep him um and and fill that position in another way i i just think that's where we're at i think that we saw the best and the worst of reese hoskins all last postseason like it was all on display it was brutal defense a lot of resolve coming back with big home runs and key moments, the bat spike. Like it was just a a whirlwind watching that that postseason unfold. But then you kind of go back and you look at it. And like I, I know you kind of have to write off the, the postseason as a small sample size. Right. You go back and look at his his numbers, 69 at bats. He had 159 with a 640 OPS. Now he had six home runs in the postseason. Then you kind of like dial in on the World Series specifically. And I think that when it's all said and done, I I'm sorry, and, and this is maybe not entirely fair, but I always look at, and I think a lot of people always look at the last thing, the most recent thing that they saw, and what we saw in the World Series was a guy that was just entirely overmatched. I mean, three for 25 with 10 strikeouts. And so the reason why I mention that is because I'm not trying to like relitigate the the viability of Reese Hoskins as a premier first baseman, but what I would say is, do, do you think that maybe it's the inconsistency? Like someone like me that acknowledges that Reese Hoskins is a good player, but isn't in love with him the way that 
I guess some of the people that I watch and follow on Twitter are. Uh, like, do you think it's the inconsistency that that kind of makes it a little bit harder to buy in on him? Are we overrating the fact that he's he's streaky? Like, what what's your kind of assessment about him and the volatility of his performance? Yeah, it's it's weird. I I think that the relationship with Hoskins and and this city, um, obviously he's got people who love him, and then there's there's obviously a very loud uh, group of detractors, and it, it's 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 weird to me. Like I I I guess there are always going to be those players who maybe you expect a little bit more out of. Or more consistency out of, um, or who who you, they have their limitations, but you want to see them trying to get better at it, and you don't see those results from that. When no matter how hard the guy might be working behind the scenes, and we, you know, no one really knows. Everybody always says Reese is one of the hardest working guys they've ever been around, but you don't see the improvement, and so therefore you assume it's not enough. I, I, it's 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 just weird. It's one of those weird relationships. That's that an athlete has with its t- town that he plays in, and he usually is a guy who's like Reese. You're not a superstar, um, and you're also not a bad player. So you're 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 a pretty good player, and so you fit like somewhere in the middle. And so when you want when the when the, the town wants more out of the team, and they're not getting it, the immediate place to go is that guy who you think can be a little bit better than he is, and he's not. Right, and I think that that's probably why that there is such a visceral reaction um, to him. Uh, nevertheless, it, it is what it is, right? I mean, like it is real, right? Like I'm not. So, so I will say this because if you're listening to this, I feel like I have to use this disclaimer because if you're listening to this, you're a Phillies fan and you probably like Reese Hoskins. Like you yeah. probably are like this guy's he's not giving him his due, and I, I'm trying to. And I will tell you that when he hit that home run against the Braves. Like, that was one of the, the cooler moments to date at the time. I mean, then you saw what happened with Bryce Harper and, you know, what happened in the NLCS and all. But at that point, like, that was one of the best moments I had seen at Citizens Bank Park. Like, this guy that had been really under a lot of, of pressure, uh, a lot of criticism to hit that home run in that spot, especially coming off of game two against the Braves where he makes a brutal defensive miscue that really, I think, cost them that game. So then to come back in a pivotal spot and kind of set the tone early against the Braves in Game 3 back at Citizens Bank Park with a just absolutely wild crowd. I thought it was one of the, the best crowds of the entire postseason. Uh, it was a great moment for him, and I was so happy for him. And and I I know I know what he he is at his best, but I just I just find myself, I guess, as you said, maybe like wanting a little bit more, you know, needing a little bit more consistency whatever it is and I just look at him and I go at the end of the day if this is going to be a player that commands anywhere between four to six years at anywhere between I don't know 22 to 30 million dollars like, I don't know his market I'm not sure and, and what he does this year will probably dictate it so I'm just using a, a you know a pretty wide spectrum here I, I'm just out like I just I just don't think that's a deal that you do if you're the the Phillies as currently constructed that's it yeah that's and that's that's totally fine, right? I mean, I mean, what I think we have to do, and I mean, we're on this 20, 22 minutes into this thing, and we haven't talked about the story of Philly's camp, and it's not Andrew Cantor. That's not Andrew Cantor. It is Noah Song. Noah Song. Five draft pick from the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Navy guy. He was not discharged. I know that was the thing. It was that he was discharged. He was not. He had his services transferred, I believe, is the correct uh, terminology here. So 
he's he's been transferred into a reserve role. Thus, he was able to report to Clearwater, and he is an an interesting story. And like I'm I'm kind of like you know a little tongue in cheek with this, but is there an opportunity for a guy that has this type of ceiling? I mean, we we've heard the the book here, and it's a guy that has. When, when he was drafted, a guy that had front end of the rotation potential. Like Now, if he makes the Phillies, he's obviously going to have to do it as a reliever. We also know, we've talked about the fact that there just really aren't many spots on this team. The first thing, Anthony, for me, like I know the story, 25-year-old, hasn't pitched since 2019, low A, 17 appearances that year, 106 ERA. His senior season at the Naval Academy was outstanding, uh, 144 ERA, 161 strikeouts and 94 innings pitched. He has a big-time arm, apparently a great guy. You look at his background, you assume that his character and his mental makeup is is A++. So he checked all of these boxes. It's going to be hard, I think, and we all understand this, for him to come out and pitch at a high enough level to even make the Phillies think about keeping him on this roster. For me, I look at it and I say, if this team were the 2016 Phillies, Stash him. I don't care if he pitches like shit in Clearwater. Stash him. It's interesting. Team that's trying to win a World Series? I don't know. Yeah. Um. Here's the thing, Bob. Can they? And I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and and you know come up with some kind of uh, backdoor possibility for the for the Phillies. That's that sounds a little shady. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah, I mean, we we saw the Dodgers manipulate the the injured list for years with pitchers. Um, is it possible that the Phillies find a way to not to not ha- to you know, to say coming out of spring training because he hasn't pitched in five years and that his ability isn't quite there that there is some kind of you know extended spring training that he needs to give him enough time to actually build back up while not having to be on the major league roster and, or, 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 you know, being on the major league injured list, let's put it that way. And that after an amount of time during the year, then, you, you know, Hey, some, you know, some of you get an injury in the bullpen and somebody needs to come up and then you take a chance and see at that point. And if it doesn't work out and he, he can't pitch at this level, then you put him back, you know, give him back to Boston, put him through the waiver pro, whatever the thing is. Right. Um, and they did it, and Dombrowski talked a little bit about it yesterday, saying, you know, they did, they knew it was a gamble, but it was a gamble worth taking. I, I don't think that they expected him to be... be right, like... No, no, no yeah. like, here now. Like, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, they, they obviously didn't know when it was going to happen, and, and this is this may be just a case of bad timing for the Phillies. Like, may, you know, maybe they, they thought this could be something that, hey... You know, he could be a guy that, you know, gets discharged later in the year or, or or gets his service transferred later in the year. And, you know, then we only have to have him up on the roster for, you know, September when we can add an, or add a few arms. You know, they've done things like that. Yeah, you know, maybe that's the case. So, you know, and that's what Dombrowski's looking for. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see that there's any way he makes the roster um, out of spring training. Um, I was just trying to come up with, a way that he, a, a way he could stay here, but I don't, I don't, I don't. It's an interesting thought, and and listen, the, the, when you take a player in the Rule Five that you know has this background and and kind of creates this, I don't know, I'll, I guess I'll call it a complication a little bit. The fact that he hasn't pitched in in multiple years, 
like you would almost think there would be some type of exemption for the player. Like it, it's not like it's not like he was just sitting at home. I mean, like he got to serve in a country. Like you would think yeah. there'd be a way to maybe like I don't want to say manipulate, but ease him back in where it's not. Hey, you've got to be on the on the twenty six man roster day one. But right. yeah, such is life, and those are the rules. So we'll have to navigate that. They will have to try to get creative. If they were to do it. But when you look at the roster construction, I feel like we're going to do this like weekly check-in on this, and we still haven't seen him throw a pitch in real time yet. But like you guys, I guess last week were sort of leaning away from Painter being on the opening day roster. Is that right? Yeah, a little bit. I just don't. Your mind on that at all? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. I know everybody's talking about him. I know everybody's you know, and we're going to dive into the whole situation with you know him pitching to Schwarber on the backfield and, and all that stuff. I just I just think that I think the Phillies are gonna try and, you know, be smart about how they use him. I look, can he start the season with them and then they send him down at one point to kind of slow him down a little bit to manage the innings better? Because like it's like we said, it's always easier to manage innings in the minor leagues than it is at a major league level. Um yeah, I guess it's possible to go that route too. But I, I don't think that this is a guy who comes in here day one, starts pitching, um, you know, when the when the number five spot comes up in the rotation, and then stays here all season in that role. Like it just, I just can't see him throwing that many innings. So it, you got to figure out a way. How are they going to manage it? When are they going to manage it? Would you would you rather him get off to a hot start and then shut him down for a little I, while? I don't. Know. But I just feel like. I just feel like I, I see Bailey Falter on this team, and like I think you and I agree with this that he's going to be a big part of of what happens in the rotation. But I think that we just see him being deployed different ways. Like I just think that that you might see that piggyback. You might see skip starts at certain points throughout the season and being managed that way. Like I don't know that you just have to shut him down entirely, and I don't know that you have to ramp him up six weeks after opening day in order to track the innings appropriately. Like I think that we've reached a a different era in Major League Baseball where there's a lot of different ways that you can manage workload without just hitting a hard stop on a guy. And again, this all goes with the qualifier that, like, if he's not ready and doesn't pitch well enough in March, then who cares? Like, we're, this conversation's irrelevant. But, like, the reason, the only reason why I even bring this up is it kind of relates back to Noah's song, which is, like, look at, look at the, look at the roster. Like, look at the spots they have. And, like, if it goes the way that I think it might, where it is Painter, but with Falter kind of tag team with him, that shortens up that bullpen. Like there is no other spot there. Like he would, he's not, he would have to a pitch lights out and then B you would have to have an injury to a Dominguez and Alvarado Kimbrel. Like there would have to be a guy that goes down that really opens the door here. And Oh, by the way, like Nick Nelson is in the mix and not that he's so interesting that you have to bend over backwards to make it work for Nick Nelson, but he, he too is part of this mix right now. Yeah, I, 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 I'm just, and I know that there's ways of doing that in baseball. Like, I guess and you talk about the piggyback thing, and, I, and it's certainly a possibility. But I don't necessarily know if you want to, uh, as far as baseball's philosophy with this, if you want to commit two pitchers to a rotation spot every time out. Right. Like, I mean, I mean, I think it ultimately you you put yourself at a disadvantage. Because that's a roster spot that's being taken up by someone who is still only pitching on one day when the, when the other guy is pitching as well. That's a fair right? point. And, and so like, you want to do that a couple times. I get it. Like here and there. 
you have a, maybe an off date built in like okay yeah we could have we could do it here okay fine but i don't think it's something that you can go into the season with a regular approach to um so therefore it's you know how do you how do you manage it that this guy doesn't throw more than 120 innings i really do believe that that's probably his ceiling right i mean if we're being realistic and honest that's probably his ceiling how do you do it so that he gets 120 innings while he's on your roster the whole year and and that's where i and that's where i have a hard time finding that bob i i feel like you can you can control that you can have him go pitch for um you know lehigh valley for a month no more than three innings a start right and that's you're only and now now you're a month into the season and you still have over a hundred innings available to him in your in your you know in your grand plan, um, and then then you could call him back up and then really start to give him all right first couple starts he's going to get five innings or four or five innings kind of thing and then hopefully get you know as the season progresses he gets to being a guy who you can leave in for six seven right. and, and and see where it goes and it is worth noting like you look at the beginning of the schedule and. They're off the 31st of March. So they go Thursday off Friday, but then they play. Oh no, we just lost Bob. Bob just disappeared here in the middle of the recording. He just like cut out. Um, so let me try and pick up where Bob was going to go as he tries to get back in here because I don't know if I should. Oh, there he is. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just uh, hit me <laughs> off for a second. So yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we'll be actually able to edit this, but if not, we're just powering forward. It just kicked me right out. Yeah. Um, so what I was saying was, though, you look at the schedule, and like one thing that is probably worth pointing out is they're off that that first Friday, so they go day on, day off, play through, and then they get to the following Friday off, and then they play through again. It's not like there's a ton of off days baked into the beginning of that schedule. You know, like we've seen in past years where you might have three or four off days built in over the first 14, 15 days, and like. They don't really have that luxury if you go through and look at it. It's really just those first two Fridays. So, like, mm-hmm. they are going to have to utilize the bulk of that rotation. There's not, like, a lot of breathing room where you can kind of, like, say, all right, well, this stretches everything out a little bit. Like, it's weird. It, it's a weird schedule because, like you said, normally in the beginning of the season, you know, April's f- full of off days. And y- you have uh, one in March, obviously, and then two in April. And then, so yeah, they have, and then four in the first four of the first eighteen days of May. Yeah, it's it's crazy how it changes this year, right? So, yeah, I mean the off days are, yeah, wow. There's a look. I'm just gonna. I didn't even look at off days, and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, wow, these are weird. Um, every month is kind of goofy, but um, yeah, uh, you're gonna need the five starter early. So that's a thing that maybe you maybe I think you know you might have a point. Where you know, two, three, four, one, two, three, uh, four. Uh, you probably first don't need a five, number five starter until that Cincinnati series in the middle of April. Um, but then you're going to need them, you know, three times through the rotation at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, maybe it's only a couple weeks. Maybe they send them down for just the first couple weeks, kind of thing, and then he gets called back up. Who knows? But I, 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 I think that there's. They're going to do whatever they can to manage him a- and not have it impact the major league roster, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, now, 
the guy that we have not really talked about at all. And it's it's amazing because he's the guy that if you were going to talk about any player on this team in any other year, it would be this player. It's just Bryce Harper. I mean, we, we've not talked about Bryce Harper at all. Obviously, we all understand that he's not going to be here at the start of the season. Yesterday, Dave Dombrowski's he's talking to reporters down in Clearwater, says, hey, he's ahead of schedule. So everybody gets really optimistic, gets all fired up, excited about what that might mean. I think that the working theory coming in is that we wouldn't see Bryce Harper until around the All-Star break. I guess in light of what we heard yesterday, there might be some optimism that this time frame, this timetable gets pushed up maybe the middle of June. Is that kind of what you're thinking at this point? I, well, I wouldn't even say at this point, Bob, I, if you go back, like I, I think we've talked about it um, briefly, uh, but I know I've, I've been on, uh, you know, I've said it on the radio a couple of times. I, I've, I've always felt like Bryce Harper was going to be back sooner. Um, there are some important games when you look at that schedule in June um, when you have a homestand in late June uh, against the Braves and the Mets. This is right? the exact conversation we had last year. We were like and, looking at the series and saying, like, wouldn't he like to be there for that one? And were we? And were we right? Did we? I mean, did we hit? I, I think we hit the date right on the head. Uh, I think we even touted ourselves. After I, I think we did like a rough joy, and we were kind of patting ourselves. Yes, yes. And so I, I look at that and I say, I'm not certain that that that's the game he's going to come back June 20th. That'll be, you know, oh, it's the Atlanta series. That's when he's coming back. But I would not be surprised if he came back sooner, as yeah. even like the week before when they go on that road trip against Arizona and Oakland. You know, it, I mean, Arizona's better team. They're not. I'm not. I don't want to make it sound like they're a pushover. But you're talking about a road trip against teams, especially the A's, who don't have great pitching. Really, kind of like an opportunity for him to kind of get into the swing of things before you hit that Braves and Mets run. At, you know, at, at home. I think that that's probably a, a target time for me that I think Bryce Harper will be back. Yeah, and it's a really uh, interesting progression. Getting to the uh, the point where we're having the ability to take dry swings is really a huge hurdle because that is, and for those of you that don't know, dry swings, just no balls involved, right? Like mm -hmm. the ability to go through the motion and actually perform the function without pain or without the you know prospect of potentially harming yourself like having that stability is really the, the the first massive hurdle to get to. And he's there now. And then the way it'll progress is T-work, soft toss, batting practice, adding velocity, adding then lie. I don't know how quick the ramp up is. Like I know it's a hell of a hurdle to get from surgery, post-surgery to dry swing. I don't know what the progression is going to be from T to toss to BP to live like I don't know if that's going to be a sprint and and like quick check boxes like you know all these boxes just quickly get checked one by one by one or if it's going to be hey you got this for two to three weeks you have this for two to three weeks and it's a slow build you know Phillies obviously want to be cautious here like they I think that they're in a spot where yes it's a competitive division yes the expectations are great but for that reason I, I think that you have to kind of you have to be sure that when you get him back you're getting back Bryce Harper. Um, I know he'll want to be aggressive. I know that he'll want to push it. There probably will be an adjustment period. There probably will be growing pains, but they 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 got to make sure that he is ready to go, and it's not just when Bryce wants to go, because if it was when Bryce wants to go, I would tell you May 15th sounds like a good date. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're right. I really do. And, and um, I, I do think a lot is going to depend on 
what ha- you know, Dombrowski said he's going to arrive spring training uh, either March 8th or 9th, um, which for for us, that's uh, that's kind of serendipitous, right? I mean, it's the day after I get down there. Uh, <laughs> <I'll take> <laughs> <it>. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, just in time to talk to Bryce Harper. Uh, uh, one third of your active roster isn't here, so we're yeah. all with you now. You can yeah. every interview every day. <laughs> right. But I guess the question is, like, how, you know, how, is Bryce staying there every day, working there every day at that point and moving forward toward getting there? Or is this just, hey, I'm going to pop in, kind of whatever, check in on the guys, be around for a few days and then head back to Vegas? And then continue my program. Like I, if if he's going to stay, Bob, and this is why I say this. This is why I think it's an important question. If he's going to stay there and and work at Clearwater from that point forward, that could mean that the the process is is being expedited and picked up. If he's going back to Vegas, it's probably a much more cautious approach, yeah. right? I mean, and, and I that's really that's all I'm looking how I'm looking at it. Not necessarily saying that you know, hey, they're going to rush him back or whatever. I just think it's more of that would give us a better idea on his timeline. It's it's sort of weird. Like I know that we've long known that that he wasn't going to be part of the mix early on this season. So it almost feels like in a way they they aren't missing him, or that he's it, that this injury isn't even real because it's just it's been established. You know, it's not there's no shock value to it. But in a way, like I kind of I wanted to bring this up with you, and I said before we started recording, like I have this Bryce Harper take, and it's it's kind of like I want to make sure I say this correctly. His absence is massive. Like, we know what Bryce Harper is. We saw it on full display last postseason. He is that guy, right? But, like, in my mind and the way that I think about and view this team, it's almost like his absence doesn't phase me. And it's it's not because the Phillies played well without him last year. I just, like, I look at it and I'm, like, almost kind of like, it doesn't even matter that he's not here. And like, obviously it matters. Like, it's a huge deal. In fact, if you look at the betting odds and – it all sort of ties together. Like 87 and a half. Like, again, we're not doing predictions, but like 87 and a half. They won 87 games last year and they sucked for the first two months of the season. And then they lost Bryce Harper for a prolonged stretch. They have a better bullpen. The lineup's better. They added a potential MVP candidate in Trey Turner. You expect bounce backs from a guy like Nick Castellanos. Out boom. Presumably won't go through a fucking roller coaster of a season this year. Bryson Stott, second full year. Like, there's so many good things here, so much to feel good about, and yet the Phillies are sitting right a half game above what they did last year. I just look at it and I'm like, is, isn't this like a 90-91 win team? Is it the number 87 and a half because Bryce Harper's that big of a deal? Like, I guess the answer to this is yes, but like, I'm really having a hard time here with this. No, I am too, Bob, and I like I think it's I think the Phillies are a sure bet to go over 87 and a half. I mean, they would have to have a lot of bad luck injury wise in order to be an under, right? Um, I, I think that they are a 90, I, you know, early prediction, obviously we got, we're going to wait a month before we really give predictions, but early I look at it, I say 92. I do. I do. I think it's the 92 win. Yeah, like, I, I don't even have a number. Like, yeah. I, just, I just feel like that it's, I don't know. Like, is it disrespectful? I feel like 87 and a half is a little bit disrespectful. They won the National League last year. This is a much better team than it was a year ago. And it's facing the one issue that it had a year ago, which is like, yo, its best player is going to be not there for two, two and a half months. I mean, this isn't really all that much different. 
Yeah, I and, and in fact, Bob, I, I I think this is a situation. And I know it's something you wanted to kind of uh, bring up as a conversation piece today, and maybe this is a good transition into it. But I do think that this this these um these numbers that Vegas has set for the this team ties into the fact that this is no longer they're no longer playing the quote unquote unbalanced schedule. Um, they're no longer going to be able to play all those extra games against the Nationals and the Marlins. They're now going to play every team in baseball. And so therefore, while the schedule's going to be a little bit tougher, so therefore, you know, uh, the number probably has to be what it is. But I, I, we can talk about it. Yeah, let's, I mean, we're here, so let's just do I don't, it. I don't buy it. I don't buy that with the calendar. Here's the setup for everybody that's unaware or doesn't know the the specifics. So last season, you played within your division 76 times. This season, you're going to play within your division 52 times. You're going to play across four series, a total of 13 games against each divisional opponent. So what does that mean for the Phillies? If you go back to last year, they struggled mightily against the Mets, and I think that that was well documented. So they went to combine 13 and 25 against the Mets and Braves last year. Not great. You only won a third of your games against those two teams. But on the flip side of that, they absolutely dominated both Miami and the Nationals, especially the Nationals, 16-3 and against Washington last season. They want to combine 28-10 and against those two teams. So all told, all in, 41-35 and against National League East opponents last year. I would tell you that I actually don't think, like, I guess if you do strength of schedule and actually play out the numbers, I, I guess it's harder for the Phillies now because you're especially not probably going to be able to, you know, 16-3 and three against an opponent is insane. So you're not going to get that benefit. But I almost feel like it comes out in the wash because of the struggles that they had with the two upper-tier teams versus the, the success that they had with the two bottom teams. So, like, I just almost think this doesn't matter at all in relation to their overall prospects, their ability to pile on or, or anything. Well, I agree with you because if you if you think of, think about it, that's twenty four. They're playing twenty four less games in the division, and they've added um, that many games against American League opponents, right? So you could sit there and say, well, yeah, gee, they got to play the Yankees and they got to play the Astros, right? And then they got to play two uh, four games against Toronto, right? Oh, that those are tougher games, and yes, they are, right? So that the, that to me makes up the games that you were not playing against the Mets and the Braves. But you're also going to play Oakland, and you're also going to play um, who else is going to be terrible in the American League this year? I mean, Kansas City, Detroit. Like you're also playing all these other teams. Those games are going to be the equivalent of the games you lost against the Marlins and then and the Nationals. So, like, I don't see how this changes anything. Um, I, I think it's kind of a stupid thing schedule wise. I'd much rather see them play their divisional opponents. I think it's more fun to have them with the rivalry and everything. Baseball will tell you that, hey, listen, this this allows us to get all of the game stars against all of the game stars. I know. Point. I know. Every market's going to get to see their team play the Aaron Judges of the world. Like, you know, name your name your MLB star. I, I, I get it. I just don't think that there's really that. I guess there's like a grow the game element to this. Yeah. I don't think that's really going to matter. In fact, right. as a fan... I'd rather see. Hey, it's. An, I know that there are times in like the way that the schedule is constructed, where like we're. I apologize. This is like two f words in, in three minutes now for me. But like we're playing the fucking Mets again. Like we just played them. Like I don't want to play them. Like how many times can I see? 
DeGrom, who is now obviously in Texas, but like, how many times do I have to see these guys again and again and again? Like, but at the same time as a fan, like you, when you're good, you want that rivalry. Like, come on, Atlanta. Like, I'm going to show you that last year wasn't a fluke. Like, let's do it. Yeah, man. You kicked our ass all over the field. Like, I want to see you, whatever it is, 18, 19 times this year. Like, we're, we're going to pay you back. Like, you kind of want that, don't you? You do. And, and, and I will say the one thing that I'm, I'm excited about is the, the, despite taking those games away from us, they did jam them all up in the end of the end of September. So they play six, the the Braves, six of the 13 times uh, that they play the Braves, they play them in September. The Mets, eight of the 13 times that they play the Mets, they play in the, in September. In fact, they're eight of the last 11 games are against the Mets. That's so going to fall away because if this season goes the way that people think it's going to go, which is like Phillies are probably I'm playing. I'm sorry, seven. Like yeah, that's seven of them. A, a hell of a road down the stretch. I mean, like that's they better they better come into September with a little cushion if that's the case. Yeah, it's seven of the last ten. I'm sorry, not eight of eleven. Seven of the last ten. But yeah, so no, it, it, the end of the season is is brutal. I mean, three at home against Atlanta, three in St. Louis, three in Atlanta, four at home against the Mets, and then you, you get a brief brief break with three against the Pirates. You know, you know, have like a Nationals for me in there. Right? I, yeah, the Pirates, three against the Pirates, yeah. and then at the Mets, three games and season. It's a brutal, and earlier in the month you have a road trip to Milwaukee and San Diego. So I mean, it's 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 a September. That's September. That's September. But there's a Miami series in there too. But uh, but yes, that's September. It's nuts. September Woo. is going to be crazy. Uh, so you yes, you better they better build up. They better build up the wins. Yes, they better build up the wins. And look, August. But see, and again, I don't want to go through the whole schedule. But when you look, August they play a ton of games at home, right? I mean, it's it's crazy how many home games are in the month of August. Three, seven, ten, thirteen, sixteen, nineteen home games in the month of August. Wow! And the, and ready for this? It's Kansas City, Washington, Minnesota, San Francisco, the Cardinals, and the uh, Angels. That are, those are your those are your all at home. And the only road games are Miami, two in Toronto, and Washington. Right. Wow. And so August is the month where bizarre. it is bizarre. So August, you're thinking, oh, they're going to get a shit ton of wins, and then September is going to be like crazy challenging so it's really kind of weird how this goes but i like it i like the fact that you're playing the best teams in your division at the end of the month of september because they're likely in the battle for the division at that point and that's great and that's what you said for what i was just talking about like don't you want to see the mets don't you want to play the Braves? at the same time though like by playing them less like what you are in theory doing is making those games even more important more high stakes like you're you know yeah the illusion of those games anymore so We'll see. I, I, I'm not ready to knock the schedule tweak until I actually see it play out. Maybe I'll have a different feel as we watch the thing unfold. Who knows? Uh, the only other thing that I have before we get out of here, and I was actually thinking, and, and silly me, that like this would be a 35-minute show today, and we'll put it around. Schwarber. I want to talk about Kyle Schwarber. And yeah. I want to talk about him and and like this overarching point that I have about this this clubhouse, I guess. So we all saw the video of Painter on the mound pitching Schwarber. He gets him early, and then he takes him deep, and he's he's like doing the rodeo thing, riding the bat down the first baseline, and you know he's he's saying suck it to him. And then you see the the video afterwards, and he, they're talking uh, next to one another, and he's kind of giving us some pointers. What did he see? Like what was the feedback? And then, you know, like I quote tweeted it, and I just said like this is. To me, one of the best leaders that I've seen in this city in a really long time. Like, he really is the real deal. And like when they did the Schwarber deal, 
I think we all understood the importance from an offensive standpoint. Like, can get on base, has tremendous power, leads the National League at home. Right? Like, we we saw that part of it. That's great. But, like, the one thing that a lot of people said when they did the deal was, like, you're getting an A-plus guy, like, in terms of just clubhouse presence, leadership. And you saw that on the field the other day. There were so many times where the Phillies went through stuff last year where you were like, same old Phillies, like, here it comes again. And he would be the guy that would stand up. And not that other players didn't. Like, Real Muto would talk, Hoskins would talk, and, like, they all did the accountability thing. So it wasn't, like, a lack of accountability. But, like, when when Schwarber said it to me, standing in front of him, listening to him, I was like, this guy's different. Like, I feel like he believes it. And I feel like when he says it, the people around him believe it. I just feel like he's built different from a leadership standpoint. Like, I don't know if you remember after he won the NL last year, but they're in the locker room. And, like, he was out of his mind. And, like, he said some pretty crazy things that I'm actually not going to even repeat on this podcast, but they were hilarious. Like, if you go back and look at the clips, some of the audio overrides in it, and you're like, that's hilarious. Like, that's really funny shit. Like, I just think he has this balance of, like, being a dude's dude, being accountable, making others accountable and like just instilling a belief in the team that like, yo, like we can do it. And this guy, this guy is right. Uh, That's what I see with him, man. Yeah, I, he is. And, 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 you know, I've been around sports a long time, right? Bobby, this is, this isn't a secret. I mean, I've been covering pro sports since, uh, since the Ray Rhodes era when I, my first, my first job was as a Eagles writer for the Associated Press. Uh, in Ray Rhodes' last season, when the Eagles went three and thirteen, um, so I, I go back that far. So I've been around a lot of locker rooms, a lot of clubhouses, and I can honestly sl- say that Kyle Schwarber is one of the best leaders I've ever seen. Um, he's he's right up there with with some of the some of the best. I mean, I you know, it, it, hockey obviously is my background, and. I, you know, I got to cover Chris Pronger, who is widely considered one of the greatest leaders in in that sport, uh, all time in that sport. Uh, and Schwarber has a lot of those elements, that a lot of those elements. He fits right into that mold. I think that he's exactly what that locker room needed to get past the hurdle of we're not going to get, we're never going to get to the playoffs. And now what you're seeing from him, and I think it's just, you know, obviously it's one little moment, right, with 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 Painter, but. What you're seeing is okay. He got them to break through that wall, and now he's the kind of leader who knows how to get them back there. Right. He's got a lot of Jimmy Rollins in him in that way, right? And in the, in the sense that it's the confidence and it's keeping things loose at the same time. Um, and it's knowing how to balance the two. And Schwarber really does that very. Certainly. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. It's like this. It, it's like threefold for me. It's. Yes, he can do it on the field. Like the production is there, and that sets the standard. There's a pedigree, you know. He's he's won in the past, but then it's that balance of like bringing like this loose energy, being fun, being a dude that makes everyone laugh, but then being able to kind of turn around and say like, "Now's the time to go." And when he looks you in the eye and he says something, you feed off of that, and that is a unique blend. Like. A lot of players can be one of those things. They can be the funny guy that keeps things light. A lot of guys can be the, like, zero in, I'm in the zone at all times. Like, we got to be accountable. Like, you know, super serious, stoic guys. Like, I-, I just feel like he's able to blend all parts and-, and has a unique feel for, like, what does this team need right now? 
And that's what I see. Maybe, maybe I'm overvaluing it, but I, I just think that that is invaluable. I really do. And I, I just, I will say this, like, you know, you see, if you're watching this on YouTube and like, I got Philly stuff behind me, man. Like I grew up as a Phillies fan. I love the Phillies. Like I, I want the Phillies to win. I'm not going to go like big J journalist on year and, and tell you that I don't care. I'm just there to, you know, cover the news. Like we're doing a Phillies podcast. Of course I want them to win. I've seen a lot of bad baseball. I've covered some bad baseball, you know, doing this in 2019. I came in at a really weird time in Phillies organization. I didn't see a lot of this when I first got there. So this isn't coming like from a, a fanboy place or anything. Like, in fact, if you go back and listen to our shows from like 2018, 2019, especially when I started getting down there, I thought I was the first to tell you, like, there's no leadership. There's guys that want to win, that say the right things, but that that's not enough, right? Like, that's been one of my main criticisms. So then I see him come in and, and do what he does. And I just, you know, as I said, it's not just like, it's not just Kyle Schwarber. There are other guys there. I, like, I think Real Muto is the real deal. Like, I, I do. I think that Hoskins is, is the real deal. But, like, I just think Schwarber's on a different level, man. I, do, I agree. I agree. Um, I did have one other Phillies item before we hit one last thing. Real fast, um, I just want to get your take on it. Uh, Rob Thompson was asked about Josh Harrison, uh, who signed with the team, is going to have a bench role with this team. And... Um, you know, he, he was said, you know, yeah, you bring him in and, you know, he's kind of your utility guy until you realize how good he is. And then you're, you're, you know, finding ways to keep him in the lineup all the time and keep getting him at bats. And I thought that that was a curious thing because I was like, well, okay, where's Josh Harrison play? Play second and third mostly, but he can play the corner outfields if, if necessary. Um, he's not a great outfielder, but I mean, he can play out there if needed. So, okay, let's look at that. Is he taking a shot at Bryson Stott here? No, no. Alec Boat, no. Schwerber, uh, definitely not. I mean, Castellanos, maybe, but I don't think so. I look at this and say, this is more of either Derek Hall hits or he doesn't, and somebody else will DH and Josh Harrison will play. And I, that's kind of how I looked at what that meant. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I just wanted to kind of get get your thought on that. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of interesting, like, if that's the case, and, like, obviously we're speculating here a little bit with this premise, but, like, is Derek Hall the kind of guy that, like, needs that wake-up call? Like, is, is it, like, am I missing something here? Like, he was a guy that, that kind of, like, was a, a fun story, came up, and actually, I think, far exceeded anything. Yeah. Expectations last season, like, is... Is he like a dog or something? Like no, 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 no. I don't, I don't want to make it sound that way. I'm sorry if I did. I'm, I'm not trying to make it sound like that. It's no, a I know. Call. I, I, but I, but I think it's almost a message that says, yeah, we're going to give Darren Hall that opportunity. But okay. if he doesn't hit, that's the alternative, right? Yeah, and, and that's what I. Yeah, I don't think it's a shot at okay. Darren Hall directly, yeah. but it more so of if that doesn't work, plan here's Plan B. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean. It's it's a good plan B. I mean, like in terms of, of of Harrison, though, like this is not a guy that you want roaming around in the outfield. Ideally, like, I mean, I think right. he played twenty games in left field two years ago. I think he played one or two games in center two years ago. He's as you said, second base, third base. Like that's the primary positions for this guy. I just I don't know. Like I'm really kind of curious. Like I like what they have at their disposal in terms of the bench options, but like that last spot and like how like does Derek Hall even make this team? Like. It's one of the things I'm, I'm really, really curious to see how they, they do this. I suspect that they, and I, I, I know I'm not like directly answering your question, but like you kind of have me going somewhere else yeah. with this now. Like, they're going to need 
someone to hit from the right side. Like, they're going to need someone to hit from the right side. I don't... Uh, we talked about this before, but, like, the, the Brandon Marsh, like, Bryson Stott, like, automatically just excelling against lefties thing, like, I'm not buying that. Like, right. between the two of them, there's going to be some deficiency there. They're going to need those at-bats. I, I just think... I think it's, like, a, a hat tip to a guy that, that's a veteran that that is is probably going to be a big piece and like almost more like not so much a message to anyone else but more about a focus on a guy like we really think that you're a big part of what we're doing here yeah and that's fair and that's fair and you want to talk about another great clubhouse guy josh harrison reputation man has been no matter where he's played has been that he's an awesome clubhouse you know guy. it's you know it's fun this is um like look it up like all the bios and stuff and seeing 35 year old josh harrison and you're like man this guy's at the end of his career he's He's pretty old, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I sit here and I go, I'm 37. Like we, I've now achieved, I've now achieved the part of the game where like the the elder statesman in the clubhouse, I am now older than that guy. Well, you don't really feel old, Bob, until you look into the league and there's no one your age playing. No, you, yeah. you're still okay. There are a couple guys, there are a couple guys that are uh, yeah. My age, but... You're still you're still okay at, at 37. All right, one last thing. Uh, I know we can wrap it up. Um. I don't know if you saw, and it's actually, I'm going to tie it into the Phillies like uh, like I usually try to if I can, but um, Major League Baseball announced that they're going to uh, re-emphasize the enforcement of sticky stuff for foreign enhancements for pitchers. Um, a, like, do you, do you think it's a th- they're going to do, really commit to it, or is this just going to be something to start the season and then it fades away? And if they do, I, I want to point it out, Taiwan Walker, right, back in 2021, was off to a tremendous start um, with the Mets in his first 13 starts, I think it was, through mid-June, was just pitching lights out for them. Um, I think he only had one non-quality start or something along those lines, Um, but or maybe it was two. Um, Anyway, he was off to a great start. I think his ERA was 235 through the first half of the season. Uh, then uh, they started cracking down on the sticky stuff thing. And the rest of the season, he went 5-12 and 12 with a 6-2-5 ERA, uh, an OPS against of 820. He got torched uh, after that. And it makes me wonder, is he a guy who relies on that kind of stuff? And if the league's cracking down on it, does that impact him in the rotation? Well, here's what I'll tell you. I, uh, first of all, I hate this story. I'm tired of talking about this. Uh, <laughs> the, what's going to happen is they'll crack down. They'll, they'll do more of a thorough inspection. The show Alter Musgrove thing last year for me, it was like my breaking point on this story. I think I, ears I, touching his ears. Yeah. I just hate <laughs> I really do. But I, so here's where I'm at. Major League Baseball will ramp up their, their processes again. And pitchers will again find a way to circumvent the enforcement. Like it's it's the ultimate cat and mouse game. Like Major League Baseball catches up, pitchers find the next way to get around it. Major League Baseball catches up, cracks down, pitchers are going to find a way to get around it. And your point about Walker is really interesting. Uh, I'm not dismissing that. I actually find that to be incredibly concerning, to be honest. But, um, I I don't know, man. Like I guess we'll see. At the end of the day, kind of reminds me of like what I've heard the last two weeks with the Eagles. Like 
everyone's playing on the same field. Everyone's playing by the same rules. Like, we'll figure it out. But, you know, are they playing by the same rules? We'll see. Because, like I said, certain guys, certain guys will find a way to push the boundaries, probably get away with stuff. It's just, it's almost like I'm so defeated by this that I've, I've reached the point where I just, I just write it off as being part of the game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, look, I, no, I come back here when, when Walker's first four starts to go totally nuclear. I'm like, oh my God, you know, this, right? I could, I mean, I remember there being a conversation about that when he was on the Mets, that he was one of the guys that was impacted the most by it. When I saw that story, it, it popped back up. I'm like, Taiwan Walker, man. Now he's a Philly. I wonder if that yeah, impacts I think You can point out individual cases where it is probably a little bit concerning, but I mean, you know, we went through this where, MLB cracked down. All of a sudden, it was going to be like pitchers couldn't get anybody out anymore. Like, oh, wait until you see this. So there's obviously going to be huge ramifications. And then, like, yeah, certain guys did struggle. But like, when you look at the whole picture, did it really change what was happening? Right. Not really. Not so, really. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But uh, interesting call out here, and something that we might be revisiting in a couple of weeks. Yeah, just thought about it. <laughs> All right. Well, for Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wankel. Thank you for listening. Crossed up. You can see uh, below. If you're watching on YouTube, you can follow us on Twitter at Up Phillies is the show account at Aunt Sam Philly is Anthony's account, and then I'm at Bob Wankel CB. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. We will be back Monday. Phillies playing actual competitive, and I put that in air quotes. Yep. If you're listening competitive baseball this weekend. So we'll see if we have anything to talk about come Monday. Thanks for listening.